0: Powered by by. by. RootslandNation.com Listen to back episodes of the podcast Stream original music Check out the latest fashions RootslandNation.com Wear your culture
1: Hey, what's happening everybody? This is Epi And you're tuned to WLAR and the Punky Reggae Party Coming up, we have a special request going out to the Lawrence High School graduating class of 1983 from Henry K. and Dougie Dredd.
2: But first, police and thieves. Oh, crap. Henry, it's after midnight. I know it is. Turn off the radio and go to bed. But Dad, I requested a song, and he just said he was going to play it. No, I don't care. You have school in the morning. Oh, come on. You know how much I love music. And what did I tell you about music? Dad... It's a pipe dream. Yeah, it's a pipe dream, but it's a dream. Listen, I just want you to be realistic. Dad, I know you do. But right now, he's playing a Junior Mervyn song. No, I don't care. Worry about graduating high school and doing well in college. All right. Now go to bed. Okay, I will. Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica. From a magical place at the intersection of words, sound and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are
1: music to your ears.
3: Hello and welcome to Morning Time, June 7, 1997. How is everyone today? We have a special guest in studio music producer... Henry Cario, recently featured on the cover of Billboard magazine and producer of two of the top 10 best-selling albums of the year. His records have dominated the charts, spawned a successful tour and countless copycat projects. Henry K has been credited with rekindling the careers of some of reggae's greatest veterans. Eddie Fitzroy, Toots Hibbert, Mighty Diamonds, and Judy Mowat have all benefited from recording with the producer and being introduced to a new generation of music fans. Henry K, welcome to Morning Time.
2: Thank you. First of all, I have to take issue with the term rekindled the careers. These artists have always been on fire, right? Oh, I agree We just need to remind everyone But you
3: know what I mean The trend right now is all about dancehall and DJs and club bangles That's true Then here comes your classic Roots reggae albums um, You know, that box the trend And seem to really strike a chord with music lovers. No
2: doubt it did It definitely Let's did Let's start
3: at the beginning You moved to Kingston in 1991 Uh-huh Tell us why And did you ever imagine you would achieve so much in such a short time?
2: Well, originally, I decided to move with a friend, a fellow journeyman named Brian, who, unfortunately, he's no longer on this journey.
3: Oh, so sorry to hear
2: that. He wanted to be a singer. He had a great voice, and I'm not really sure what I wanted to be. I'm still not sure. Really? Anyway, we came down to Kingston with a dream that we were going to make music. We had one of those old-school composition notebooks. You know, the ones with the black and white hardcovers and has a blank space where you can fill in what subject or class you're in.
3: Yes, I know exactly the kind.
2: My friend Brian wrote in the words, History meets destiny.
3: That's quite a lofty goal for your trip.
2: Everything about Brian was lofty. That's a great word to describe him.
3: He sounds like a real friend.
2: Yes, that he was. The first page of the notebook had a list of all our contacts. It started with singers and musicians, worked its way down to industry grunts. Brian had done some hustling as an independent promoter in Colorado. More so he could meet singers and reggae bands than actually make money, which he never did. You know, in the weeks before leaving for Kingston, it's all I could think about. I could hardly wait. But once we boarded the flight, I suddenly felt like a man without a home. And not just spiritually. I don't even think we had a place to stay when we got to town. We
0: ask that you please ensure that your seat backs and table trays are in the upright and locked position Good day gentlemen Welcome aboard Air Jamaica Non-stop service to Kingston Thank you, good morning Are you taking a vacation?
1: No, no Really? I, no, why? Do we look like tourists? I hope not, we're uh, Traveling for business We're musicians, we're coming down here to make music
0: Well, if it's music you're making, you have come to the right island
1: Oh wow man, I mean Oh yeah, we love what it What are you again. talking about? We love Jamaica, man Yes, jamaican jamaican bum the lady studio one baby
2: brian give the guy a freaking break <laughs>
1: please take your seats and if you need anything on the flight hit the call button all right thank you you too oh well, thank you very much thank you appreciate one it one love one love get out that list i we're, we're gonna uh we're gonna make some plans
2: um, Yo, Brian, we've gone on this list so many times, it's not like we're adding any new names now I know, I know, I know, I know that, I want to get some vibes going though you know? Vibes? I'm exhausted, I want to take a nap No
1: sleep or slumber for the weary, man, come on Okay, Let's okay, get to work. top of the list, Tabby from the Mighty Diamonds Ah, oh, my good friend Tabby, that's a real boss right there, man You know, he's a Smokey Robinson of Jamaica, dude Oh, I know. Amazing guy. You know you know what he did? He gave me his personal number of his house. Okay.
2: He, we should call him when we get there. That's awesome. I love Tabby. I already told you that Bob Andy's in the UK, but Deadly Headley's in Jamaica. It's just that he, I hear he's living out in Negril these days. He was saying there's no work for live musicians in Kingston anymore. Oh, well, we're going to have to change that. Next on the list, Eddie Fitzroy and Half Pint.
1: Yeah, man. This, These are the guys we got to hang out with in Jamaica. You know, this is... This is the new generation. we got to surround ourselves with these guys.
0: Excuse me, gentlemen. I could not help overhearing your conversation. You guys seem to work in the music business. I'm very interested. I'm Dr. Broderick. Hey, Dr.
2: Broderick. Nice to meet you. I'm Henry. This is Brian. Hey,
0: Dr. Broderick. You know, hearing some of those names that you're calling bring back so much good memories to me. As a teenager, you know, I used to go and watch Bob Marley over at Skateland in Halfway Tree. I'm sure you guys know where that is. Yeah, of course. Boy, those were the days we had great music. Not like that crap they're playing today. You know, I can't for the life of me see what this new generation loves about this ghetto music, you know. It's rubbish.
1: But, but, Dr. Broderick, isn't that the exact thing that your parents said about Bob Marley? That his music was, you know, ghetto rubbish and, like... He's right. Brian does have a point. What do they call him? A dirty dread? That's what they said. You know, a rebel?
0: Well, yes, yes, I see what you're saying. But even if you didn't agree with this Rasta philosophy, you know, there was still some kind of dignity in the music. These new songs are just disgusting, man. I really don't know what's going on with the young generation, you know. But the music kind of reflects poorly on the country, man. And we are a proud people, you know. Dr. Broderick wasn't
2: alone in his opinion regarding reggae's evolution over the past decade. Or depending who you ask, de-evolution? By the time Bob Marley, undisputed king of reggae, lost his battle with cancer in 1981, Jamaica had already crowned a new king. His name? Yellow Man. The king of the dance hall. The new sound that had dethroned Roots reggae as the prevailing music heard on Jamaican street corners. With its fast-paced rhymes chatted in local patois, and explicit lyrics that glorified gangsters, guns, and girls, dancehall music more accurately reflected the voice and attitudes of the island's young people. The wisecracking, slack-talking, quick-thinking rapper with an easy flow was the least likely artist that one would imagine becoming Jamaica's breakout superstar and first dancehall artist signed to a major label. Then again, everything about Winston Yellowman Foster defied the odds. Born January fifteenth, 1956, with albinism, a disorder that affects the pigment melanin, causing pale skin, poor vision, and yellowish blonde hair. As an infant, he's left to die in a dumpster by his callous, misguided mother was ashamed of the stigma associated with albinism, a condition misunderstood on the island, where it was referred to as God's Curse. Against all odds, the baby survives when he's found in a paper bag by the garbage collector and is taken to the Maxfield Park children's home. The boy has a lonely childhood, bouncing around to various orphanages where he's teased, tormented, abused, for just looking different. But the unwanted infant, left to die out of fear of having God's curse, is in fact saved by God's grace when the Alpha Boys School in central Kingston becomes his home. A vocational academy founded by the Roman Catholic Church in the 1880s, it became a refuge for Kingston's most vulnerable and forgotten youth. Ones like Winston Foster that were dropped through the cracks. It's at Alpha Boys School where he's lifted up into the light by Sister Ignatius, a powerhouse nun with a side hustle as a disc jockey, and for decades ran the Alpha music program with her military-style tough love and heartfelt devotion to her students, many who went on to become successful artists and pioneering musicians. When the young Winston shows a passion for music, Sister Ignatius lets him take the mic and perform on weekends, when she would set up her legendary sound system and spin records on the grounds of the Alpha property. The teenager's uncanny ability to write lyrics on the spot gave his rapping, or toasting as it's called in Jamaica, an improvisational edge seldom seen. It earned him the respect of fellow students, started building self-confidence, self-esteem, and discipline. The once forgotten child will take all the abuse, all the insults, all the negativity directed at him over the years, and learn to accept it, to own it, reclaim it. He channels the energy into his inner persona, like a superhero that transforms his deepest and darkest vulnerabilities into his greatest attribute. King Yellow Man is born, and so begins the dawn of the DJ in the age of dancehall. Yellow Man explodes onto the Jamaican music scene in 1979 after taking third place in the Tasty Talent Contest, the island's most influential amateur showcase and predictor of many of Jamaica's future stars. He catapults his way to popularity by performing songs bragging about his good looks, sexual prowess, multitudes of women, And, of course, his always crowd-pleasing lyrics depicting the various parts of the female anatomy. And although King Yellow Man and his X-rated raps do seem a long way from Bob Marley and the Roots reggae movement of the 70s, Yellow Man and Dancehall was actually a product of the same deprived and marginalized ghettos that incubated and popularized the Rastafari movement. And while his vulgar, self-deprecating humor was void of any political correctness... It wasn't absent of any political or social relevance. Yellow Man was never shy about pointing out the country's decrepit conditions or its corrupt ruling class. And because everyone knew his story, as an abandoned orphan that rose out of the same broken system to stardom, it gave his voice more validity. And it's why the people crowned him the king. Yellow Man is the real king of dance. Yellow was part of a new generation, that witnessed the drunken celebration of Jamaican independence 20 years earlier and was now suffering a lingering two-decade hangover. Facing a reality that this dream of a new Jamaica ruled by Jamaicans would uplift the country, offer opportunity, create better lives, was just a dream. The grim truth had set in that no one was going anywhere and those that were born and grew up in the ghetto were most likely going to die in the ghetto. Or as Buju Bantan would say, Who can afford to run will run. But what about those who can't? They'll have to stay. Opportunity, a scarce, scarce commodity. In these times, I say. When mama spends her last to send you to class, never you ever play. It's a competitive world for low-budget people. Spending a dime while earning a nickel. I guess poor people decided, if life was costing more than they were earning, they might as well spend their money on something that truly brought them joy, even if it was just temporary. With this acceptance of a life relegated on the outskirts of society, with little chance of escape from the physical ghetto confinement, came a desperate need for emotional, spiritual escape. That's where music filled the void. From Scott to rocksteady, from roots to rub dub And now to dance hall, ever-changing with the mood swings of the masses, but nevertheless dictated by their treatment from the government and ruling class. Bob Marley sang Forget Your Troubles and Dance. And that's what poor people did since the beginning of time. They forgot their sorrow and danced. They forgot their weakness and danced. They danced until the early morning light, when the promise of a new day would begin, but only for some of Kingston's residents. For others, it was dread. The ascent of dancehall music's popularity in Kingston's marginalized communities did signal the decline of Roots Reggae's influence on Jamaica's youth. However, globally, Marley and the Rasta Revolution was stronger than ever. The problem was, not everyone seemed to benefit from the surge in reggae's global demand. And at the bottom of the food chain were still Jamaican performers, musicians, and songwriters, just trying to scratch out a living as they watched the music from their homeland captivate the entire world. Pirates!
0: Pirates. Yes, the rabbi. In
2: 1973, Bob Marley's anthem, I Shot the Sheriff, shot to number one on the Billboard charts. But it wasn't Marley's version, it's actually a slightly amped up rock cover sang by Eric Clapton, who channels Marley's inner zeitgeist to achieve the guitar icon's first number one hit. And thus begins a long precedent of rock and pop artists recording cover versions of reggae hits or original songs that heavily appropriate from the genre. Bands such as Three Dog Night, Paul Simon, Blondie, The Police, UB40, Elvis Costello, all scored major chart success with their versions of reggae songs some with even borrowed island accents and inflections. Yet, actual Jamaican artists were still outliers in the industry. Signed to smaller indie labels, or urban divisions, within major companies. They did have dedicated staff, but just lacked the resources or promotional budgets that the rock and roll bands had.
0: Then in 1990,
2: everything changes for reggae music with the rise of a soulful singer from South London, Max Alfred Elliott, nicknamed Maxie, one of nine children born to Jamaican parents who, like so many of that generation, immigrated to England in search of a better life for their family. Maxie's father worked long hours in a steel factory. His mother, a Pentecostal missionary and member of her church's choir, filled their working-class home with love, and the healing sounds of gospel music, reggae, and R&B. Maxi Priest, as he decides to call himself, has music in his DNA. He's the nephew of one of reggae's greatest singers, Jacob Killer Miller. So he starts out at the bottom as a gopher, repairing and loading speakers and equipment for local sound systems. Inspired by the sound clashes back home in Jamaica, these street dances become the nucleus for England's Caribbean diaspora. Facing internal battles between assimilating into British life and clinging to their island culture and heritage. Local hi-fi sound systems would battle each other for street supremacy, spinning hit records and dub plates cut in the studios of Kingston. Then on B-side instrumentals, young singers and MCs would bravely take the mic, vying to become the UK's next big thing. Maxi Priest spends years perfecting his craft. Honing his skills at the mic by performing at these cutthroat competitions, neighborhood block parties and basement jams, where only the strong survive. Representing his South London Saxon sound with the confident swagger of a reggae singer and the smooth delivery of an R&B crooner, he learns to feed off the vibe of his audience. Maxie has the girls swooning before he even sings a note, waving his tight shimmering dreadlocks and flashing a million-dollar smile. He spends years bubbling under on the U.K. and international reggae charts until one day he gets his moment to shine. His song Close to You, a reggae-infused New Jack Swing club banger, works its way up from the underground dance floors to number one on the U.S. pop charts. And the second youngest of nine children, born to Jamaican immigrants, seeking a better life, gets one. Maxi Priest, Becomes a bona fide pop star. I
3: just to
2: you. And suddenly, with this new decade, everyone in the media and the music industry is talking about reggae music and its second coming. The following year, 1991, with the spotlight and all the attention on the genre, and at the height of his mainstream popularity, Maxi Priest is featured on a song that once again will set records. But this time it initiates an industry upheaval and sets in motion a musical paradigm shift that will turn an obscure ghetto DJ from the slums of Kingston into a household name in the suburbs of Princeton. And while they say... There is no such thing as bad publicity. For double Grammy winner Shaba Ranks and the hardcore street culture he represents, things are about to get ugly.
0: I mean, Beats thinking
1: the
2: you see, just as myself and Brian were touching down in Kingston, so was an army of foreign invaders, record companies, music executives, publishers, managers all looking to cash in on Dancehall's recent wave of international popularity. All searching for the next Shaba. Most were opportunists, looking to take advantage of what they perceived as uneducated third-world artists, willing to sign one-sided contracts for a few U.S. dollars. Yet, as greedy and ruthless as these international companies were, they had no idea of what kind of resistance they would encounter when they reached the island shores. The Jamaican establishment, the same power-hungry consortium that had controlled the island's resources and products for centuries, they also saw Dancehall as a commodity they could exploit. And the old guard was not going to give up control so easy to these newcomers moving in on their turf. And anytime these wealthy elites fight it out to gain control of something that's created in the ghetto by poor people, well... We all know who ends up getting caught in the crossfire. And as Brian and I were about to find out, sometimes even bystanders get hit with some shrapnel. It,
0: Rootsland Podcast is produced by Henry Kane in association with Vice Buck Studios.
3: Remember to like, share and subscribe and please support our show by downloading the Rootsland original soundtrack available on Amazon, iTunes or wherever you purchase music.
0: So join the Roots gang on Rootsland. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> K- 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 Rasta.